Hey folks, Gerald Kirk here, and I'm excited to share that this season of the Higher Ground Society podcast is supported in part by the Alabama Humanities Alliance, a state affiliate of the National Endowment of the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this podcast episode do not necessarily represent those of Alabama Humanities Alliance or the National Endowment for the Humanities. Now, let's get to the show. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Higher Ground Society podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Gerald Cook, and I'm really excited about this episode. It's a little a little bit of a departure of what we've done in the past. So we've had folks, you know, primarily from, um, you know, Alabama, well, definitely from Alabama, uh, people who are, you know, maybe across the country. But this time I have a very special guest who is across the pond. Uh, <laughs> I have with me Miss um, Tatiana Richards Hanabute. Hanabute, yeah, it's very unnecessarily difficult to pronounce. No, I should know that. I, I, I studied a little German, so I should be able to, you know, go for it. So please tell the people, who are you? What's your name? And then, you know, by all means, introduce yourself. Okay. Hello, everyone. I'm Tatiana Richards Hanabute. Uh, I am a fiction writer from Alabama, and I live in Germany now. Yeah. Tell us anything you want us to know um, about, you know, yourself. Um, you said you're a fiction writer, so tell us more about that, like what, uh, how that works. Okay, well, um, yeah, I, I studied journalism uh, at the University of Alabama, but that was mostly because I wanted to be a writer and I also wanted to make money. So I figured, okay, I'll study journalism. But in the back of my mind, there was always, okay, this is not the kind of writing you want to do. You should be doing should be writing your stories that you want to write. So, um, yeah, I, uh, guess I went to the university of Alabama. I worked we forgive in you for that. By <laughs> way. Okay. You know what? Do we need to cut this interview? <laughs> Re- rethinking all of my decisions now. <laughs> no, um, after that, I, I worked in Alex city, uh, at a small paper and then I moved to LA and worked for, uh, an educational publisher there. And while I was there, um, one of my best friends was a writer, a poet. And she told me about this writing workshop that she went to over the summer. It's called, um, voices of our nation's, uh, writing workshop. And, um, I had never heard of it. And I was like, oh, what is this? And she was like, oh, it's amazing. It's a um, workshop, a writing workshop for writers of color. And um, it's not just poets, there's fiction writers, there's creative nonfiction, there's memoirs. Um, So you should, you know, you should really look into it. And so at that point, I started taking my writing seriously and I had a deadline to work towards, a goal which is always good for me because uh, I'm just that kind of person. (laughs) And um, so for the whole next year, I worked on short stories because that's like one of my favorite um, mediums to write in. And uh, I really took my writing seriously. And that, that was, I guess, I would say rebirth, but kind of, yeah, my rebirth as a writer. Sure. That's phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. See, I, I love how, you know, we, we try to prepare for these interviews and then things just take their own route. I totally <laughs> forgot to, you know, prep you on or ask you how you got involved with that workshop, but we'll talk about that a little bit more. 
Well, let's get back to, so you said you're from Alabama, but you're currently in Germany. So kind of expand on, on that. Where were you right. born and whatnot? Okay. So um, ironically, I was accidentally born in Alabama. Um, <laughs> my, <laughs> my mother uh, had moved to California. Uh, like a lot of my grandmother's family, had, uh, they uh, migrated to Southern California. And my father, um, the, his family also lived in Los Angeles. And so that's where they met. And um, my mom was pregnant with me and decided to come home to visit for a family reunion. And I don't know if she was being bold or I just wanted to come early, but instead of being born in LA as planned, I was born in Alabama. And uh, I have three brothers, one older and two younger. They were all born in California. And so they all used to like make fun of me like, oh, we're from California, but you're just from Alabama. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's crazy, but, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, um, but we lived in uh Los Angeles until I was about four or so and then we moved back to um, Greenville which is where my mom is from it's a small town Um, either you have never heard of it in your life or you have passed it on your way to the beach Mm -hmm. on I-65 but yeah that is where I grew up I went to school there um, until I graduated and I had always said oh I'm not really from Alabama I'm technically from California Mm -hmm. as soon as I get old enough I'm moving back to LA where my, where my roots are but of course as soon as I got old enough I was like actually this is home I think I will stay a little closer okay. for now <laughs> and so um I got a scholarship to UA to University of Alabama and um that is where I went and uh yeah then after college is when I started moving around a little bit more so from Tuscaloosa to Alex City back to Greenville for a little bit, then to Los Angeles, and then to Birmingham. And um, while I was in Birmingham, I was planning to stay for like a year or two. And then it's like, I think New York will be my next adventure because, you know, artists are right. always drawn to New York, right? <laughs> but um, during that time, I accidentally got pregnant. I wasn't planning on it. I was totally terrified. I was hiding in Birmingham from my family, but <laughs> what? it turned out to... <laughs> <Not Okay>. hiding. <laughs> well, okay, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll explain why I was sure. hiding. So like <laughs> when um, I graduated from college, right, I was moving out and uh, one of my roommates, um, she was pregnant, but I didn't know this yet. She hadn't told any of us yet. And like she came in and said hi to my mom and my grandmother. And after she left, my grandmother said, oh, when does she do? I was like, granny, she's not pregnant. They be knowing. They be knowing. Exactly. So I was like, I'm not about to go down there because as soon as I walk in, y'all are going to be like, oh, coming in August, right? Did no, so nobody dreamed about fish or anything? Nobody told you about that? No, mm. no, no warning whatsoever. Wow, so. you flew under the radar. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Exactly, but when I finally like stopped hiding and told one of my cousins, she was like, this is not the end of the world. Like, you haven't murdered someone. Just come home. Yeah. And so it was fine. And, like, my son is awesome. He's just, like, the coolest person. If Even if he weren't, like, related to me, I would still want to be friends with him uh, one awesome. day. That's good. <laughs> but, yeah. But so um, that kind of derailed my plans for moving to New York, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you can't just pack up and leave with a small kid. And New York is not really the kind of place you go if you're broke and you have a 
like one year old, <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, yeah, I was trying to figure out my next move and um, I was working for Birmingham Magazine, uh, which was owned by the Birmingham Business Alliance, like the Chamber of Commerce. And um, I happened to be in the lobby one day when like this group of German guys came in, my coworker's wife was giving them a tour of the city. And like, there was one, I was like, oh, he's kind of cute, but you know, it's like uh, doing my job, going home soon. So mm-hmm. hi, bye. And then uh, my coworker's wife said, hey, one of those German guys thought you were cute. I was like, oh, which one? Was it the one with the hat? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> so I thought, okay, this is just, I will go on one date, two dates. This will be a nice story to tell my friends. He's moving back to Germany in like a year. Uh, it'll be a cute story for my friends and that'll be that. But like 10 years later, here I am in Germany. Wow. So it's kind of like a classic story, boy meets girl. Yeah, absolutely. That's insane. I mean, I love it though. Um, so this is, so one of the reasons, well, I think I should preface this, this whole interview with maybe telling everybody how I came across Tatiana, yeah. <laughs> which I never got your reaction to this whenever I told you. Oh, that's true. But so, I mean, you have to tell me how you felt about it. But so I used to, again, I, I used to work for the Alabama Humanities Alliance. And I did social media communications work for them. And I was on Twitter, on the Twitter account. And some for some reason, I think you might have liked a tweet or retweeted a tweet. And, you know, I think a good social media manager or communications manager is kind of, you know, scoping out who's, you know, checking out your channels and whatnot. I think the thing about you, though, I don't know if, I think maybe your last name did catch my eye. I was like, that don't sound like an Alabama name. So I clicked on your name and then I was, I looked at your, your header, your, your bio and it said expat in Germany. And I was automatically hooked because I have a really great friend uh, who lives in in Berlin. I had another friend who was there for a split second uh, back in 2018, I think. Um, So I kind of, and I visited Germany back in 2018 too, uh, had a brief little love affair with it. And I've been learning German, trying to, you know, continue. So I was, like, very intrigued and saw that you were a writer. I was like, well, she needs to come on the show at some point. And, uh, yeah, so I kind of just let you cook a little bit. I had you on my short list. <laughs> and I was like, well, let's not do it on the first season because it's going to be crazy enough as it is. So I don't know, like, <laughs> trying to collaborate and do it across all these time zones. Let's try to, you know, wait till season two. And I reached out and you were like, Okay, so yeah, I mean, how would you feel about me just reaching out and that randomly? <laughs> well, you know, it was random, like you said, yeah. but like random does not mean bad. Sure. I thought at first, like you know, as I told you, it's like you mean me? You, you did you mean to write me? Because you know, I, I published like two things. These people are gonna be like, who is this stranger? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I thought it was uh, first. First, I thought very random, and then I thought like serendipitous because no I I I've one of my intentions for the last few years has been to like strengthen my connection with Alabama writers and just the Alabama arts community because like as I told you earlier when I really first got into writing I was living in LA and the people I met there um I met a lot of people who were not from Alabama mm-hmm. and um uh, my other writing friends from another workshop that I went to um, in um, Oxford, actually, in, I think 2017, mm-hmm. uh, I went to Callaloo Writers Workshop, and um, there were 
mostly people from the United States and from England, or from the UK rather, and like a few from the Caribbean, but none from Alabama. And so like, as I've been building my writer's community, I, I've realized like, I really need, want a stronger connection to home other than like just my friends that I knew before. Yeah. And so one of, one of the reasons I did it was like, you know, I talk all this stuff about being from Alabama, being proud, proud of Alabama, but let me like look and see what organizations are doing the work. And that's when I followed um, the Alabama Humanities account. Okay. And so when that ended, led you to me at first, like, you know, like I said, me, you know, just like a baby writer, but then it's like, okay, this is exactly what I wanted. Oh, that's brilliant. It was random. And then it was random and serendip- serendipitous. Absolutely. I yeah. love, see, I had no idea. So that's perfect. I mean, that's really what Higher Ground Society is about. You know, we're trying to connect people to connect communities um, around the arts mm-hmm. and the humanities and a community doesn't right. necessarily have to be, you know, in the, on the same street, you know, the same little collection of exactly. towns or counties or whatever. It can be global because I mean, that's one of my, my biggest lamentations with Alabama is we, we, we let a lot of people escape the state. Um, mm-hmm. they leave, and I, mean, I mean, escape. That's, maybe that's a bad <laughs> term. But, but a lot of people... Hey, you saw how I just agreed with him? <laughs> I mean, people leave the state and some people come back because they have that strong connection, that strong tie, but I feel like a lot of people leave and don't have any intentions of ever coming back. And so this is, I think High Ground Society is right. part of its mission is to try to maintain some of those connections, facilitate some of those connections so that people feel like they can always have something to plug back into if they ever. So now, um, again, you have your friends or whatever, but now you're, you're, you're going to be a part of the podcast alumni. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be in touch and do a lot more stuff, but um, I still want to know so much more about you, right? So Greenville, I would like to say that we're cousins, but I can't because uh-huh. <laughs> my connection to Greenville is is kind of is very very thin. I've only been like maybe once again. So I'm from uh, the Gulf. But you've been right. You're from Baymanet, right? Right, right, right. So I go back and forth and pass by all the time on on uh, I-65. But my grandmother's husband, so my mom's stepdad, was actually from Greenville. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I told you that. Ooh. And so, no, you didn't. Yeah, unfortunately, that was the one time. So you know, I have. Uh, it was for, it was for his funeral. Unfortunately, that was like a long time ago. But okay. but yeah, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say I have to do the thing that all like people from the country do, and like, okay, what's his last name? Right, who your folks? Figure out who your people are. Yeah, it's a very ubiquitous, you know, last name. His last name was Smith. His name was okay. Ulysses. Smith and he had a brother who it really freaked me out I forget he so we were at his funeral and we had just finished the funeral we were at his sister's house I think her name was Della Idella I could be making this okay. up but that sounds familiar so we're at her sounds right. his sister's house and then his brother walks in but I thought it was him come back from the dead like <laughs> see oh, they no. were they looked so much alike <laughs> Like he had on this white suit and everything. He just walked. I was like, okay, yeah. I was maybe like ten. That would freak me out too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like it was definitely. I was like, whoa, what's going on? Um, well, that's my Greenville story. <laughs> my one connection. That is an excellent story. I love it. I mean, I, I definitely want to go back. I mean, we we go. We would travel to through kind of on the outskirts. My sister went to Troy, and so that was our exit to get off. Okay. We'll take those back roads. Um, right, but Greenville's cool. You know, I, I, it's got some some cool things there. I mean, what do you remember growing up? That something is, that you enjoyed 
being in Greenville. Okay, so when I was growing up, like I said, I, I would always say, well, I'm actually from Los Angeles. I'm not from here. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is such a small town. I can't wait to escape. But looking back, everything that I wanted to leave, like every our every reason that I wanted to leave are are the things that I love most about it. Because like I, I thought, okay, it's so small. Everybody knows everybody. And like that is actually a good feeling when you can go home and like know and be known. Or like if I which has happened before, like if my car breaks down on the side of the road, I don't really have to like call AAA or anything. I just have to sit there and wait for somebody I'm related to to drive past, yeah, you know, I love that. The, the, the small town closeness, I think. And then um, also just the, like my childhood, I always thought it was boring because um, my family lived, uh, a lot of my family lived on this same road mm -hmm. and we lived like towards the end. My house was here and then my grandmother's house was here and that was the last house on the road. And then there was like the woods. Same. And so, <laughs> <laughs> okay, see, you know, exactly. <laughs> and so like when you're growing up, you're like, oh man, everybody in town or in the city, they're having all the fun. But like, I had this like really pastoral idyllic childhood. Like mm -hmm. we would eat breakfast. Then we go out and play until lunch, like play in the woods, play in the grass, like literally pick berries mm -hmm. or like go smell the flowers, go walk to walk to the creek. There was like literally a creek to walk to mm -hmm. and fish in and then like come home, eat some lunch, not interrupt my grandmother while she watched her stories, right. go back, play the whole afternoon. It was like really pastoral. It was, it was a nice childhood. Yeah. I can so, say the same thing. And honestly, around this time of the year, you know, fall time is when I really start getting nostalgic about it because you start smelling yeah. leaves burning. That's like one of my favorite things, you know, yeah. around this time of the year and just the... Picking the pecans or walnuts. Yes, yes. Um, I love that. And the being not too cold, but just like the perfect temperature because we're in South Alabama or, you know, South Central I mean, yeah, I can wax poetic about living in, <laughs> in the country all day. And it's really interesting because I was, you know, it's like I told you, I was just in New York and my friend and I we were walking around. We saw these kids going to and from school, like the school buses, driving down like Manhattan. And so we were just like, we, I could not imagine or getting on the, the subway okay. to go to back and forth to school. It's like, I couldn't imagine trying to do this life as a young child. Right. Right. <laughs> it's, it's right. It just, different. it seems so like, just foreign it is it is even just incomprehensible yeah so now let's fast forward a little bit so you i mean we don't have to i'm not trying i'm not purposely fast forwarding through <laughs> your ua days but i mean well, i mean i'm curious so what did you do or were you involved in anything at ua other than like the writing you know scene i was i was um so um i was pretty like my family, I, I think we hovered like around the poverty line for most of my childhood. Some years we were below it. Some years we were a little bit above it. Sure. Most of the time right around it. So I knew that I would have to um, get a scholarship if I wanted to go to college. Mm -hmm. So like I was an overachiever and all in service of like, okay, I got to get this money so I can go to college. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then I thought, okay, when I get to college, I'm just going to chill. But like that's being an overachiever is hard to turn off. Yeah. So um, I didn't chill. Um, I got involved a little bit in the SGA diversity committee, okay. which, um, you know, as we know about diversity committees now, they really often don't have any teeth, but they can like foster some, <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially at 
institutions like UA, mm-hmm. but they can foster some like amazing experiences and you meet the most amazing people. And that was one of the first activities I was involved in. And it was really like, I, I made a friend that I'm still like friends with to this day who I learned so much from. Um, that I, uh, <laughs> I joined the Bama Bells, which was like a like football hostesses because my best friend did it yeah and like you got to go to the games for free so you could sell your tickets and still uh go to the game and like you get a like a book scholarship so it's like okay sounds like a win-win opportunity um that was fun I joined a sorority my like junior year so I'm an AKA okay which is yeah that was like a very interesting experience, mostly good, interesting, but also it was very different for me because like I said, I grew up like hovering around the poverty line and then like a lot of my sorors grew up very differently. So it was really um, like eye-opening to see so many different kinds of black people. Absolutely. See them up close. Yeah, like I actually thought about that for well, something we're gonna talk about later when we talk about the black family. That was one of the experiences that kind of like shaped, I don't know how I view blackness. Uh, what else at UA? A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Oh, there's this group ah, called the Blackburn Institute. And like the whole goal of it is to like, literally the tagline is change the damn state and like change Alabama for the better. And that is um, also the one that like had a big um, impact on me. And that's why I always feel an obligation to eventually come back home or like help change the damn state yeah basically that's good to know yes yeah (laughs) wait so but it was also ua right i mean i get i totally get it right so i mean i went to auburn right and so i mean they're Uh, okay so yeah they're two sides of the same sides of the same (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah absolutely and and it's really interesting too i mean when i was there so i was in the band when I was there, it was very much so, my, my experience was very band focused, very much so shaped around football mm. season. All my people were kind of around in that little sphere. Right. So I didn't really venture out. I thought about pledging. I thought about pledging. Um, yeah. FIA, actually. So it almost would have been, <laughs> it would have been uh, Salem. Um, who knows what the future might hold. It's still a possibility. Um. But yeah, I get that. And I, I, I like where you were about to head in terms of, of discussing blackness and everything. We definitely will talk about that moving forward. So mm-hmm. again, so we're just kind of moving through your life. So we did Greenville. Like, wait, back it up. We did Greenville, but then California, then back to Greenville. UA, right. Alex City. So you worked mm-hmm. in journalism and everything. And so I'm, I think one of the main questions I had um, was you were at Birmingham as well. And then one of the main questions I had was like, so you... I got the story of how you got to Germany. I thought <laughs> that you were just like, all right, I'm out. I'm just going to move Germany. But no, so it was a, a man that took you across the ocean. Yeah, yeah. So it I mean, was. that's awesome. That's really beautiful. I, I, I love that. Um, so like, so you've been there for 10 years or almost 10 years? Yeah. Yeah, actually 10 years in September. Wow. Um, yeah, I actually always said, oh, I'm going to like, I'm going to leave Alabama once I'm old enough. I'm going to move, you know, to LA, which I did. And you know, I was like, oh, no, maybe not. Like, you know, LA is nice, but LA can be intense. Um, 
And I, I certainly always wanted to live abroad. And I, I thought I would live somewhere in a Spanish speaking country. Like I minored in Spanish. Like I thought I was like, maybe I'll, I'll meet a nice Latino man, you know, move somewhere warm. But um, no, Germany was never, ever a part of my plan. Like it's cold over here. <laughs> German is hard. It's <laughs> like, all right, we'll give it a try for a year and see how it goes. But it's, it's actually a cool place to live, mostly. Yeah. So you're in Wolfsburg, right? Where is the home of Volkswagen? It's kind of oh. like Greenville. There's one thing here. It's actually, it's bigger than Greenville. But I mean, it's, it's the Volkswagen headquarters is like the main attraction. So everything is a Volkswagen or named after Volkswagen, like the Volkswagen public swimming pool. Sure. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. That's interesting. I had no idea. So, and what region is that in? So is that, how far is that from? Is it, is it, so it kind of seems like it's kind of rural too? It's not quite rural, but it's not, it's definitely not urban. Okay. It feels very suburban to me, but I mean, I guess as suburban as you get in Europe, okay. it's like a two hour train ride. Um, west of berlin well okay okay cool gotcha yeah so just to get an idea uh, like what's <laughs> what's it like you said it's cold <laughs> and, <laughs> and german is hard so like what's yeah. the like kind of compare and contrast you know what the experience is over there versus being here in america if you can okay yeah so um like when i moved when i visited here it was may and so it was deceptively sunny and like the weather was gorgeous <laughs> Like when it's when the weather is nice, Germany is beautiful. Like it's very green. Um, I feel like uh, Germans have like a good balance of like urban spaces and green spaces. Like there's always like a, a park around every corner you go to. And um, at the time, my son was like almost two, okay. and so um, it just felt really good because like there's a playground. You can't throw a rock without hitting the playground. Mm. Um, there were black people, which I was surprised. It's not enough, but I thought there weren't going to be any because I was like, "Yeah, I'll come check it out." In Wolfsburg, uh, right? Exactly. Okay. I was like, you know, every time I saw, I was like, "Oh, hey, Bruder." <laughs> <laughs> like to myself, but yeah. you know, like you're gonna get this black knot. I heard that from for you non-German speakers. She said, "Hey, brother." Hey, sister. That's right. Thank you. My trans your translator. See, you're fluent. That's it. I am. I'll tell me that because I will definitely get to figure it. <laughs> but okay, that's awesome. So, I mean, that's definitely something that I would, yeah. would have been like kind of nervous about, right? Like, right. I was extremely nervous. Yeah. And um, when I talked to like my friends and family, like literally, there were two reactions. It was either people who had never been to Germany, they were like, are there black people there? <laughs> and then people who had been to Germany who said, oh my God, I lived there when I was in the military or I visited my friend there. I loved it. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm. You should take a chance and try it. So I was like, okay, I will. Um, so yeah, I noticed uh, right off the bat because like, like I said, my son was two. I noticed that it was really child friendly. Mm -hmm. It's like very pedestrian. And I was living in Birmingham at the time, which is, you know, not very pedestrian friendly. It's like a any other American city, yeah. cars everywhere, you know? Um, then we moved here uh, in September. And I thought like for the first week, I was like, it's gonna storm. Like, look how great it is. And they're like, no, it's not gonna rain. I was like, uh, this is what storm clouds look like. It's gray the whole day, there's gonna be rain. 
but like no that's just germany that's just it, it, it's gray <laughs> so like the weather is is like not something that i love because it, it can be gray and dark and cold for a very long um a large portion of the year um what else is different um the social safety net like when we first moved here, they were like, uh, someone told me, oh, you need to sign up for Kindergeld. And like the literal translation of that is child money. Mm -hmm. And it's basically uh, if you're a parent, then you get a certain amount of money from the state every month. Like doesn't matter your income, like whether you're super rich, super poor. If you have a kid, you sign up, you get Kindergeld. It's like, really? This is so different. Mm -hmm. This is not something that will happen in the States. So just kind of like a literally putting their money where their mouth is mm -hmm. when it comes to taking care of children or valuing like families and artists and all that. Because I feel like artists also have like a special, um, like if you sign up and say that you're you're a professional artist, then you get some kind of support too. Okay. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's true. Um, so it's just like- Kindergirl, that that lasts until they're 18, right? Right. And it, you can, it's literally. And it can be for all the kids that you have, not just someone. Exactly. Right. If you have one kid, you get one payment. You have two kids too, and you know, it goes up. Some I remember I was in a German class and someone was like, yeah, I mean, I could have five kids. It's like, you know. Bless your heart. Go ahead, but right, you know, yeah. <laughs> that much money. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it <laughs> it is enough to like make a difference, and and I feel like um, it, that's important. Like a government that actually puts the needs of its citizens first, mm -hmm. which is very surreal because you know Alabama, the legislature every year is like. I mean, the Hunger Games, I don't know, what's a good comparison for it? Honestly, that's not a bad <laughs> comparison. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you kind um, of keep an eye on what's going on back in the States, yeah? Yeah, I do. It's kind of hard not to. I feel like, you know, back in the in the wow, now I sound old, but like back in the day of James Baldwin or Josephine Baker, you know, if they came abroad to Europe, it's kind of it. Like you could maybe, I don't know, listen to the radio or mm -hmm. watch the TV, but like you don't have Facebook where you can get updates in real time. You can't like, you know, FaceTime your people. But for me, it's very easy to feel like I have one foot in Germany and one foot in Alabama. And it feels... Sometimes it feels surreal, you know, because like I can be looking at, um, I don't know, like the pandemic for one, just at the early stages of the pandemic, seeing the German government's reaction and seeing the American government reaction, especially particularly in Alabama, it just felt like, I don't know, very extremely surreal. Mm -hmm. And sometimes like I feel a sense of survivor's guilt mm -hmm. because you know, ain't no kindergeld in Alabama, but I know there are like lots of working families who could use that. Absolutely. And but uh, also, like it's not everything is not great because you know, other than this terrible cold, great weather, <laughs> um, there's also um, not that many black folks. There are black folks, yeah. which which is important because you know, 
it's us. We need community, but also they're, they're, the communities are just small. And then there are also like different kinds of communities. So I don't have like a big African-American community close by that like has the same cultural traditions and all of that. So like in moments of collective grief or collective joy, it, it feels like I feel like I'm on the outside or you know, like I'm missing out. Man. So it's yeah, blessing curse. Yeah, yeah. So my friend that I was mentioning to you, my friend's cousin wrote an article, I think it was in Bloomberg, but it was talking about the, the black experience in Germany, about how like a lot of black Germans mm. are dealing with their own kind of, you know, Black Lives Matter moment. Right. In terms of just being, you know, just not so much to the point to where they're being like necessarily discriminated against, but still kind of I mean that I'm sure there's some of that too, but like this, 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 this sense of belonging. Like people ask them, mm-hmm. "Where are you from? Like, where are you really from? Where are you from?" from? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Like they have to be some kind of immigrant, but they're like, "Hey, no, I was born in Leipzig." Like you know, like, like they right. Have- Their name could be like Dieter Schmidt, and they'll still be like, "So, where are you actually from, Dieter?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's it's it's interesting. I'm glad that you kind of highlighted that. So you have that Black German experience, and you have a Black. Mm-hmm. American experience in Germany and man, right. I, I, that does sound tough but I'm sorry that you have to weather that but hopefully you, you find you know ways to do um to manage right um maybe yeah. through writing or <laughs> oh yeah yeah I can definitely tell if I'm like off my writing schedule because then I'll, I'll just be mad for no reason or <laughs> I'll be frustrated or I'll, I'll be walking around like Ugh don't say hi to me like no not that you're gonna say hi anyway because you're just rude I'm like what's going on with me I'm like ah I haven't written like I'm supposed to write so then when I'm when I'm actually committing to my schedule my writing schedule like I'm supposed to then yeah it's definitely there's more balance more the force is working well in the universe or whatever you yeah. say for Star Wars. No. <laughs> no, I love it. So yeah, let's dive more into that. So you, like you said, you said you did uh, the, the Vona or Voices of, what, mm-hmm. what is it? Voice. Voices of our nation. Yeah, I always get it wrong, but I think that's right. Got it. So I'm, it I'm looking for. down. I, you know, got the <laughs> got my copy. So yeah, yeah, I'll try to do my, my due diligence. So after I, you know, heard about Tatiana went and she's actually published y'all they did a a book um an anthology for this workshop called Dismantle and this was actually uh has, has an introduction by Juno Diaz which I'm like what that's pretty cool um but yes an anthology and Tatiana's work is, is is featured in it and um so you said your friend recommended the workshop to you mm-hmm. and was it like a like a kind of like a what was that like you know what was the process of what is a workshop, a writing workshop? Let's just break it down for us folks who are not writers. Yeah. Tell us about that. <laughs> Good idea, because I, I kind of wish someone had broken it down for me before <laughs> I had gone, because I, I got up there and I realized it's like, oh, there's a lot that I don't know. Um, okay, so a writer's workshop, how most of them work, um, you submit for as part of your application, you submit like a little bit of biographical information, maybe um, your artist statement. And then you submit um, like a certain number of work, like maybe two short stories or like 10,000 words or whatever. Um, And then if your work gets accepted, um, you are put in a group with about 
probably I'd say like five to 10 other people, depending on um, the size of your program. Um, usually you meet up in person somewhere. Okay. Um, for Vona, we met in uh, San Francisco. Um, I think we were on the campus of some college whose name I can't remember, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and so um, every day, uh, I think we were 10 or so in my workshop and um every day you you go through two writers the work of two different writers so before you uh arrive at the workshop you should have read everyone's work mm. and major um notes and feedback so it could be um feedback as detailed as um like I like this sentence but I think you should change this word from very fast to, um, I don't know now, I can't think of a synonym for very fast, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> to uh, wrap it or something like that. Yeah. Or it could be as um, broad in general as like, I really like the story. I like the vibe of it. Um, I think you should, or you say like, I like the vibe of this section. I think the whole story should have more of this vibe. Yeah. You know? okay. So basically it's, it's a give and take. You, you're giving other writers feedback on their work and they're giving you feedback on yours. And like in the process, you're learning a lot about the craft of writing. And it's um, always, yeah, it's always led by a writer, usually someone who's um, published or who has taught writing for a while. Okay. So, yeah. so was Juno the, the guy who, led you all or am I saying his name right he was actually yeah you are he was actually supposed to be our uh workshop leader but he won uh the Pulitzer Prize mm. and so he was like a little bit busy that year I imagine, yeah. <laughs> so I ended up having right I had a uh, Matt Johnson who's um a writer from Philadelphia um he is like amazing uh he's very hilarious uh, he's written a lot of books but the book of his that um I like the most, uh, I give it away a lot, is called Incognito. Oh, yeah. It's a graphic novel. Yeah. So Matt is a biracial. I think his his mother's white and his dad is black, I think. And um, his story, Incognito, is about a reporter from, I want to say the reporter's from the North, but he goes undercover in the Jim Crow South, um, passing as a white guy to um, investigate lynchings. And I think in the first book, he's like trying to save his friend. It's like, it's really good. I had never read a graphic novel before that and I loved it. And uh, he's actually really funny. So like the story has the perfect tension, pull, push and pull of like this heavy topic with levity that black folks tend to bring to stuff. Yeah, yeah. Definitely gonna have to check that out. That's my Goodreads list. Love that. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you for explaining the workshop. And let's talk about, um, kind of going out of order here, but that's fine. Let's talk about your, your submission or your contribution to uh, Dismantle or this anthology. So, and, so, did you, so was it just, you wrote this specifically for this anthology or was this one of the things that you had worked on? And then... So actually, yeah, that story was one that I had written um, in my year of, writing trying to come up with stories good enough to submit to the workshop okay. this is one of the stories that I wrote I don't think I ended up submitting it because um I actually felt like it didn't need as much work as the other work that I, I submitted but um this story uh is weird it, it happened the the first draft of this story happened really easily for me because I um 
Oh, I can't remember if I had a dream about what happened in the story or if I just woke up in the middle of the night and the story came to me. But I remember waking up and like turning on my night, my the lamp on my nightstand and like writing down the bones of the story because it like gripped me so hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so other than then it coming to me like half formed in, you know, from the ether or whatever, uh, it was like I can look back and see two like really clear inspirations for it. So one was um, Dick Gregory's autobiography and uh, it's called, I don't know if I can say it on your podcast. It's called N word, like with the hard R, his autobiography. Yeah. 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 And um, I think he was, he described, um, he just talked about having like a father who was like, absent or only like came around infrequently infrequently which is very like much similar to my relationship with my father especially as a child and then um there's this one line in a Zadie Smith novel White Teeth and I meant to write it down so I could like read it and you know you guys could get the full effect of it but basically um there's a character and uh he I was like going through a midlife crisis and like he just meets this woman at a party and just decides, you know what, I'm just going to like leave my old life and marry this woman and all that. And there's the, this line that says, um, men find it so easy to just walk away from one life and start another. That's not how it goes. It was like much more poetic and profound than that, but it just really stuck with me. And um, yeah, so I was just really drawn to the idea of a character who was um who knew he wasn't the best father but who was trying but also you know just working within all the systemic isms that affect black people especially black and just like him being on the verge of saying like deuces forever no yeah yeah so yeah, I forgot. I realized I didn't say the name of the title of the the piece. It's called "Let's Play House," and it takes place yeah. in Greenville. We're not going to give y'all going to have to go out and find a copy of this mantle or scavenge for this. Uh, so we're not going to give you the whole thing. But essentially, it's like you know, a story like you said about a young black man um, trying to to do trying to do right, but also working against these, the life of a black person in America in setting Greenville. So you got small town America, you got blackness, you got poverty, yes, all these things working against them. And then you also have this, this um, uh, what's the word, this legacy, this kind of thing that he's trying to right. outrun too of his, of this, this what, do you call, what do they call them? Breaking the cycle, the family cycle. Of, yeah, yeah, the cycle he's trying to escape. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, and I I, t- I wrote notes and I told her, I want to read verbatim what I wrote in the notes. I said, this story made me very nostalgic and has an old school vibe to it and not just because of the flashback of, you know, kind of talking about, you know, this, the legacy. It reminded me a lot of the black movies from the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Like, is that something that you're kind of going for? You know, so it, it just, it feels like Crooklyn, you know, it feels like um, not eased by you. That's too far back. But <laughs> like, like those black family type movies, right? Um, you know, where they're just living life and just going through it. Um, mm-hmm. Was that what you were going for, or you know, like? I don't well, know. first of all, when when I read what you wrote, I was like, 
Oh my gosh, talk about my wife. Oh, absolutely. So, I loved it. It was like great. The, the highest compliment. Um, I was trying to, one thing that um, like I really learned from the other writers at Vona is that people centered their experiences, right? So um, like this, like if you're a Latino writer, you're not trying to write something that's palatable for white people. Or if you're like um, a, a Desi writer, you're you're writing your experiences. So just the the idea of like making yourself, making your world, your experience, the center of the story. Um, that's what I was going for because, you know, you could very easily for my story could have like talked about, like gone into detail about their interaction with, with like, you know, if you're a poor person in the South and especially in a small town, you're going to be interacting with white people who have more power than you. And it could be like, it's, it could have been easy to show those dynamics on the page, but at the end of the day, I didn't want to show I wanted to to really center blackness and just let's talk about this family and not like always like we we all know the specter of racism is there it's like always gonna be sitting like right outside right. waiting on the curb for you to come out <laughs> like there's no need <laughs> there's no need to bring it into to every experience and so that's what I wanted to do I just wanted to like I guess <laughs> So one of my sorors, she used to have this saying, like, this is like a dinner time conversation. Like, this is something, this is a conversation we have at dinner in private. This is not something we talk about in front of white folks, right? <laughs> so I wanted it, <laughs> I wanted to have that feel, yeah. like a dinner time conversation. Like, this is, this is a conversation among us. Yeah. I think, I mean, it was a really great read. Like, I mean, I did, I, again, I, I had no idea what you wrote about. I, I tend to, I tend to do this. I actually just posted this on social media. I I tend to go in the movies and I pick up books and stuff and just start reading them with no kind of. I think that's the best way to do it because it's it's such a like it's hard to discover things new, right? Yeah. Because we we have us. You can Google everything, or you know right. there is. But if you go into a book or a movie blind, then you can really. You have that real experience, a genuine experience of discovery. Yeah, and that's happened when, when I when I when I uh, that's what happened whenever I read Let Let's Play House. It was just like, oh, this is good. <laughs> like, you know, it was it was, it was a great world, and it, and you write beautifully. And so, um, I, some of the other questions that came out of it was, again, so kind of going back to this whole cycle, this experience writing writing about the black experience. Yeah, you know, it kind of gave me that that vibe i don't i don't i mean the, the time of when the story takes place doesn't really matter because it's like it can take place in any, any time um but again it kind of gave me that 80s 90s vibe and i remember these stories coming out or being kind of centered then i'm basically watching upn the, or the <laughs> channel 44 where i grew up uh is what it was what it was and all, on sunday afternoons when we used to watch all these movies that show the black experience and that's how right. i got from this um but I don't really see that as much these days in like modern right. media and modern literature. Not to say that it's not there, but I think a lot of the books that I, so just to be fair to you and to everybody else, I'm re like, <laughs> my reading is very sporadic. I've been on a James Baldwin journey. So I've been reading most of his stuff, a lot of Toni Morrison and a, um, what is it, uh, Octavia Butler. So I mean, mm. all the people that I'm reading right now, <laughs> right now are dead 
<laughs> so maybe that's why I'm getting kind of like this, this backlog of not feeling like a lot of newness. But even some of like the more contemporary artists, I mean, uh, authors, I'm thinking like Yar uh, Gyasi. Mm, from Huntsville. Huntsville, yes. Mm-hmm. Hey, y'all, I'm coming for you. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but like all these contemporary artists, like they, 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 even they are still kind of looking back and, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of thinking about the legacy of blackness and everything. So what do you think about that? Like, why do you think, do you think that there is a gap or a lack of, you know, black family themes that explore, you know, the black family modern in the contemporary sense? Or am I just not, <laughs> am I just myopic and not seeing it? <laughs> No, I think um, I think that's a valid question because you know so much of our our story and like so much of our, the way time moves in our culture is very circular. Mm-hmm. I, I would say like there's a lot of like you have to look back in order to look forward, and so it can feel really natural for as a black writer, especially a black American writer, it can feel really natural to want to look back yeah. and explore in order to make sense of the now. But I think um, also a lot of that has to do with publishing Hmm. and the stories that publishers want. Like, I feel like there are a lot of um, writers who are writing uh, contemporary stories, but it's harder to hear about them than it is to hear about like someone writing about slavery, Mm -hmm. because, you know, for better or worse, that's the dominant narrative that a lot of people have when it comes to black people in the United States, even though like black people in the United States are extremely diverse and not even, even not everyone has like a a connection, a direct connection with uh, slavery. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like there's starting to be um, more, more of a, more freedom to publish mm-hmm. a wider variety of stories, especially when it comes to contemporary stories, because like I've been seeing a lot of um, stories, in the, especially in the YA space yeah. that kind of explore more um, just, you know, they, they have the, the black family, the concept of the black family is being explored in a fuller way. Mm-hmm. You know, like the expansiveness. Um, for instance, I just read this story called, um, what's it called? Poison Heart, her Poison Heart. But um, it's, it's about a black family and there's like two lesbian moms and a teenage daughter. Nice. And the story, yeah, the story is not about like, oh, it's a struggle to be black and oh, it's a double struggle to be queer. It's just like, this is our family and this is what's going on. Yeah. And I feel like writers are feeling more permission to explore that. And I think for me, growing up in Greenville, even if there were stories that were contemporary being told, like I only discovered them later as I left because, I don't know, because I'm sure there'd be lots of reasons for that, mm-hmm. but um, just because of the books that were available to right. me, like in the library, mm-hmm. or like if you don't have access to a bookstore, then you don't have access to like the new, new stuff. So I don't know. I think it's a, this, this is like a very meandering way of answering your question. I think depending on where you are, you have more access to these new contemporary stories. And I feel like they're out there, but they can be harder to find. Sure. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because I mean, so I remember some some classmates of mine, colleague, whatever, when I got to college, I remember them talking about them like reading the color purple and that sort of stuff in high school. Mm-hmm. We didn't we didn't get that. <laughs> it right, high same. <laughs> we didn't get that. But so even like those kinds of books, those classic black books by those classic black authors, they tell like they, like you said, they focus on though on that hardship slavery type narrative. And so if that's only thing that's being marketed to us at a you know particular age, the only thing that we're exposed to. That's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I also kind of advocate. And it sounds like for you too, you, you experience this getting outside of where we are, so we can be exposed to these right. things. Um, but also, on the flip side of that, kind of creating these things within our community so that we don't have to go outside. You know, so that's kind of what higher ground, yeah. plugging higher ground society a little bit. Like that's kind of what we're trying to get to. <laughs> but it's, I don't know. It's a, it's a double edged sword. Can, I think it's good to do both. Um, mm-hmm. Totally agree. Yeah, because yeah, my one of my um, writer friends that I met in Kalaloo, who's like become a really close friend and we try to like FaceTime every week and talk about our writing. Mm-hmm. I've gotten exposed to so many different authors from her. She's um, also a black woman, but her uh, experience is that her her mother um, is uh, American and her father is from St. Lucia. Okay. So she, and she also um, is from New York, from the Bronx. Okay. So she, when she tells me about the sort of books she read in high school and like these authors that I had never heard of, like especially like um, Black Caribbean authors, like I, I feel exactly what you were just saying, how much we um, not necessarily miss out on, but how narrowly our narrowly things were re- recommended to us, you yeah. know? And that goes back to the, like, the structure of where we're living, right? Like whoever the, I'm not trying to come for anybody at the mm-hmm. LMA Board of Education. Like, <laughs> but, you know, it's time to like jack but. up, you know, like, you know, diversify. That's what, <laughs> I'm not even, no, I'm not even gonna see, say those dreaded three letters that people are freaking out about, about now. But, oh my God. <laughs> but that's what, that, that's what that comes from. Like, you know, just inserting, right. showing these different, CRD showing those different, <laughs> different um, just for people who didn't know those different perspectives, those different things. Like that's what Alabama needs, I think, uh, in order mm-hmm. to kind of keep up with the rest of the the country. And it's and it's happening, of course, right. in in different places. Like my my friend um, and fellow High Ground Society podcast alum and current Alabama poet laureate, the newly selected ah, Ashley. Ashley. I was listening to her episode this morning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She. Um, she teaches at Alabama uh, School of Fine Arts. And again, that's kind of like a very niche experience, right? Because we don't have mm-hmm. those kinds of schools all over. They don't have those in Baymanette and Greensville. <laughs> right. That's very Birmingham. <laughs> but the work that Ashley does in the classroom, she tells me some of the things that she talks about or the different books or texts that she had. She brought in, oh, uh, uh, I'm, I'm kind of remiss in, in mentioning this, but she had brought, she brought in an author. I forget who she is. She's, she is Daisy, I think, or, or, or Brown. You know, from you know, mm-hmm. one of those countries. No, uh, <laughs> and she, I think she might be just Indian. Mm-hmm. In any case, she her book it's a graphic novel as well, and she had had that author come in and talk to her her students. I'm like, man, like that's amazing. Could you imagine what life would have been like if that was also <laughs> something, right? Yeah. You know, just how much more prepared for the world, or how much more, how more um, open our minds would be going into college or whatever yeah. from that but we don't have to lament that we're moving forward like you said people are, free, are feeling right that's right getting the um feeling the permission and the the freedom to do that and that is something to that to be excited about so 
That's great. Thank you for going down that road with me. <laughs> it's like, yes, I mean, as you see, I'm excitedly taking this journey with you. So, yeah, I, this is something I could talk about for days. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm glad that we did. I mean, so I have actually, see, I never, so you're actually kind of the first author. Everybody else has been like poets. So, Mm. you know take out themes and those sorts of things and, and poems like very quickly i, I guess I mean, ooh, don't hate me anybody i first say that but like when you get into like actual you're telling stories and getting into like actual narratives and stuff like that you can kind of go a little bit deeper and explore more so um so trying to use that as a segue into just like your general uh, process of writing things like do you have one so i love that you have a a writing partner, accountability partners, you guys talk about things throughout the week. That's awesome. Um, but like, what else is, do you, uh, one of the other things too, I think I'm going to ask Ashley this as well, but Maya Angelou said that she would hmm. check out, she'll go check into a hotel like five o'clock in the morning. Ah, uh, yeah. And that, that when <laughs> she would write, she'd have like a, a either a notepad or, um, or a typewriter and she'd sit down and write. And then she gets a, she gets a writer's block. She, has a pack of cards and, and a bottle of sherry that she'll sit down and take a break with, you know, like, <laughs> like, so that, that's how, you know, elaborate writing uh, processes can be. But so what is yours? Do you, do you also partake of sherry and, and <laughs> play cards, right? And what do you do? Well, since my kid, I have to get up in the morning because I got chilling. So I, there's no sherry in my process, uh, at least not anymore. <laughs> um, no, so um, I feel like before I had kids, uh, I um, sometimes I was a little more disciplined, uh, mm. just like I'll, I'm going to sit down and write. But also I would be like, oh, I need to be inspired. I need to, you know, go out and fill up my creative well. And, and that is a necessary part of the process, right? Because, you know, if you're creating and creating, creating, you, you have to um, also, you can't just, um, can't just have output. You have to have input yeah, as well. Yeah. And so that, yeah, it's, it's extremely necessary. And like, it, if you live in somewhere like, like Birmingham or, or Atlanta or LA, you know, there, you can go out and go to a museum or you can even just walk down the street and, and like, you know, encounter some culture or people or a performance or anything, right? So, um, but when you're in somewhere smaller, you know, <laughs> Wolfsburg, uh, you have to be <laughs> a bit more intentional about it. And, you know, maybe it's not like as easy to just walk outside and, and um, get creative input. You maybe, you know, you take a walk and let your brain work. But um, yeah, I'm meandering again but like my point was before I had kids I'd always be like oh I'm gonna go out and fill the well and then I'll come back and write but you know I don't have time for for that all the time now because you know as you saw as soon as I had something to do my kids were like oh radar let me come bother her you know <laughs> <laughs> and and you know they are um whole people and they have whole lives so I have to uh, work around their schedules a lot too. So it, my process now has to be a lot more disciplined. Um, there's a writer friend of mine. She she taught my workshop at Callaloo and we've uh, become like friends since. And she's she's so brilliant. Her name's Jacinda Townsend. She's from Kentucky. Um, like she's, uh, her writing is just so beautiful. But um, she also has two kids and they're like, very active and involved and she always talks about how you have to treat writing as a job so like you you have to schedule it into your time your day 
and you have to like um it's best to make a goal and you have to kind of just power through it like the inspiration part the the feeling the well part the 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 fun creativity of it all that's very important but you cannot get away from doing the work and that part is not always fun. Like there are some days when I will sit down and like try to hit a goal of a thousand words and like come out with 500 words of garbage and like maybe three good sentences. And it's like, why am I doing this again? But over time it builds up. And so I guess all that to say when my process is running smoothly then it looks like um me doing whatever it is I have to do for the day and you know some people have to work some people are caregivers you know like not just parents um maybe you're taking care of your parents or whatever or you are in school and um you have to do whatever it is you have to do and then you have to also um make time for your art and that like in the ideal world I would do that every day but sometimes like there there'll like weeks will go by and I just don't have time to like sit down and meet my word counts Mm -hmm. um and in those weeks I'll try to make sure I'm reading like reading is hard in the pandemic I don't know if it's for you that way but I, I know a lot of people are having trouble like sitting down and focusing and reading so I will try to make sure I'm either reading or like watching a show that's not just like a zone out like let me just turn my brain off try to write watch something like maybe um like I said I minored in Spanish so I'll try to watch like a telenovela okay or I'll (laughs) right (laughs) or just something that's like a good story that maybe I haven't encountered before so yeah, like, uh, I know I'm so repetitive, but yeah. on a good day, my process is I do all of the things I'm responsible for. I sit down for a certain amount of time or a certain amount of words and get the writing done. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, I always um, either read a book or like try to watch something that is a bit more um, edifying than like, you know, Real Housewives, which is also necessary sometimes. Right, that's true. But, um, I'm glad you said that because, you know, <laughs> you need to diversify it a little bit. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with it. But also, <laughs> I also try to give myself grace. And I think that's very hard for artists, especially yeah. if you um, are not like working under the quote unquote ideal conditions, which is like, you know, a room of your own and some privacy mm-hmm. and no one to bother you. You have everything you need. But you know, everybody ain't got that. Right. So like, sometimes your process looks like I wrote two sentences today. That's all I could do. That's all I had time for and all I had capacity for. Because um, when I was applying to Callaloo, my daughter was young, like maybe two or three. And in those years before, like leading up to that, like I was up at night nursing her, so like, and I, and I love to sleep, but you know, <laughs> sleep and kids, <laughs> newborns, they don't really count, uh, go together. So literally one of the stories I workshop, I would sometimes just write one sentence a day, mm. but you just have to keep going. Yeah. One thing that I learned at um, Vona um, from a writer called David Mura, he said that um, the people who end up 
completing their works or publishing are not always like the most talented or not the the um, hardest workers. It's the ones who don't give up. Yeah. So yeah, so the process is varied and it involves a lot of discipline and it involves a lot of grace and a little bit of real housewives. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, and I think it's very true and, and it's very honest of you because again, one of my favorite things is Lauren Hill talking about uh, on her, her uh, the Unplugged album that she did. And mm-hmm. I, might have, I probably talked about this on another episode, but I keep coming back to it because I feel like Lauren was preaching. You know, she has these, <laughs> these interludes between <laughs> the songs. One of them is like 11 minutes long. So she was really feeling her message, right? But I remember one time she was talking about uh, how she had kind of undergone this like a rebirth or this, you know, this, this renaissance for herself. And she, again, Lauren is interesting because she's only given us this one studio album her entire mm-hmm. so, one studio solo album and it sustains and it will last until yes. the end of time. And it's like one of the greatest albums of all time. Uh, and she's done that and she gave us this unplugged album. She was talking about how she, after that initial album, she thought that she had to have all these things to make her, you know, mm. sound good, to be like the biggest and the baddest. And she just had to tell herself, you know, it's just... I don't need all that. This is who I am. I can just cut all this other stuff out. I want to get to the bare bones of things. She just cut all the, the, the trim, the fat. And she just created hey. this. She just went about creating differently. And, um, you know, some people vibe with the Unplugged album, the songs she came out with. Some people didn't. But she, I think at the end of the day, she was proud of the things that she produced. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I am definitely proud of the things that she produced. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I think it's just you have to find what works for you, essentially, as you were saying. And, and lean into it. And then it, whatever comes of it, that, that is what you have to be proud of at the end of the day. So, I agree 100%. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up Lauren Hill mm-hmm. because that reminds me of one thing that I really like to do that I, I'm sure like lots of artists do. But I know for me, when I started writing, I was very focused only on like what other writers do. So I would like read their interviews mm-hmm. and like look up their routines and stuff. But it's so important to also look at other creators and what their process is because like Lauren is a musician, but she also is an amazing storyteller. Mm-hmm. And like just the the ideal of um, of creating differently, that's something that you can use in regardless of what kind of artist you are, what kind of creator you are. Absolutely. Yeah. I also got that too from whenever you were saying about, you know, finding inspiration. You're a writer, but you talked about mm. gaining inspiration from going to the museum or, you know, going to the yeah. performance, which is something that I experienced. I'm not a writer. I'm going to just throw that out there. <laughs> I mean, I used to, but I haven't written anything a lot. But again, I was uh, uh, this trip to New York. We all were there. <laughs> that's so, true I mean, that's true yeah uh, positive peer pressure here okay, <laughs> yeah so we uh, this trip to new york we went to moma and there was like so many different things i was seeing i mean obviously I, I, I i'm here in atlanta i go to the high a lot and i get expired there too but the being in new york this, this different environment walking around yeah. seeing all these different people i was inspired i was like i'm gonna go home and write a book now like oh. <laughs> <laughs> about what like my trip to new york like, like what but it's true it's real Sometimes that's not a good story it could be i think that's uh, you know what that also like reminds me of um just like i said my friend jacinda talking about um discipline versus inf- inspiration yeah. like i feel like inspiration is necessary like sometimes you need that burst of energy like this like yeah i got this i'm about to go like write the next 
Pulitzer Prize winning novel. And then, you know, as you get into it, you're like, whoo, girl, you can't write. What were you thinking? But at the same time, you're like, all right, I said I was going to do it. I'm going to do it. So I'm going to be disciplined and get these words out. And I think it's really important to have both of those. So, I mean, if you're in New York and something's telling you like, oh, you need to go home and write a book, you know what I mean? No, go home, get started. I might write a little pamphlet. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Well, I'll read it. Oh, wow. You have at least one. Yes, I'm going to hold you to that, too. I won't listen. Okay, please do. <laughs> so, um, I mean, it might take me a while to email you back, as you've experienced, but I will read it, <laughs> and I will I will give you my feedback. I love it. I mean, I, I mean, I used to do that, too. I tried to do, like, poetry, and I had two friends that I did that with, and it was fun. It was cute. We would just send stuff back and forth, and... Yeah, it's a yeah. way to create community and everything. So, I mean, mm-hmm. keep your eye on your inbox. You never know what will pop up. Not anytime okay. soon. I can take guarantee you that, but who knows? <laughs> keep you on your toes. Um, so one of the other things I want to talk about um, was um, another thing that you shared with me, that you, one of the more recent things that you published was uh, for skinny girls who considered cornbread when their thickness isn't enough. Which, yeah, it's a mouthful of the title. No, I love it. And it's the homage to um, the... Oh, I don't know how to say her name. Yeah, I think it's Intozake, but I don't know either. <laughs> I'm just saying it confidently, so it sounds like so, I know. Intozake, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to, we're not going to butcher this woman's name. Right. I want to look it up real quick. But it's uh, it's for color girls who considered suicide when the rainbow mm-hmm. isn't enough. If you didn't catch that. Um, and yeah, Intozake Shange, yeah. Okay. And it's a really cool, really gripping, um, you know, play is what it is. And that's why you got the title from them. So that's what inspired that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah and so this, absolutely. it's a, a short story and it's basically talking, well, you tell us about it. Just give us a brief summary. <laughs> don't, don't let me summarize your stuff. You, tell us what it's about really quick. All right, so um, this story is a, a second-person short story about a, a skinny girl, a, a black woman, young black woman in the South, a, a 20-something, who is, um, like, uh, exploring issues uh, about her, the way she feels about her body, mm-hmm. her body image. Uh, it's, uh, it's written in the second person because... Um, is kind of personal for me. I'm not like as skinny as I was when I wrote that. <laughs> but um, back then, I, I really um, thought a lot about, you know, desirability and um, how I felt at my, you know, intersection of being like extremely thin and black and Southern, which uh, can be at odds when you consider what beauty standards among black folks in the South are. <laughs> So that was my uh, exploration. And um, I wrote it in second person because it helps sometimes when you're writing uh, something that's personal to you. If you write it in second person, it helps give some distance. So I'm saying you as if I'm not like talking about myself, but um, yeah, yeah, that's what that is. Again, it's a really great, I, whatever I got it from the titles, I was like, I know this is going to be about, but again, I didn't know what to expect. <laughs> and it was a great story. I absolutely loved it. Um, Thank you. And um, so like, and you summarize it beautifully. So what do you think about the current discussions around body image? And so, so you said black Southern beauty standards. Um, 
which is so... This should expound on that a little bit. I mean, you can, but also, I think... I'll, uh, yeah, go ahead and expound on it really quickly, then we'll, then we'll, expound, no, we'll expound on the expansion. So go ahead. What do you think uh, Black, beauty, Black Southern beauty standards are? Well, I can, uh, I guess, speak directly to my experience because sure. I am, uh, like, 38, so I grew up in, like, late 80s. 90s and um when i was growing up the beauty standard was definitely um like the video vixen so their video vixen were women who were typically in rap videos and they um were thick which means they were not quote-unquote too skinny or quote-unquote too fat they had curves they had a booty they were like this is what everybody wanted or every if you look at things through the male gaze, the straight male gaze, that is what people wanted. And it was also like, like not attainable of that spectrum of, you know, being the perfect weight, having the perfect features, the perfect curves, then you, you felt some kind of way. Yeah. And, you know, in the South, uh, I think people are, have, uh, I don't know. I feel like having lived in LA and having lived here in Germany, um, people are much more um, embracing of bigger bodies in the South, right? Like if someone is big, like, oh, look at him. He's probably a football player. He's solid. Or look at her. Oh, she's so thick. Or she's a big, pretty girl. But like in LA, it it was like every other radio commercial was a plastic surgery ad. (laughs) And Yeah. And here in Germany, I I feel like there is just people are still openly very um, fat phobic. Mm. So but in the South, I feel like you can be big and you can be pretty and people don't see that as a contradiction. Absolutely. But yeah, but I think um, you could also be skinny and pretty and some people wouldn't see that as a contribution. I mean, a contradiction. But um, if you weren't if you fell outside of some sort of ideal, people are also not afraid to tell you about it in the South. Yeah. So they were like, oh, you gained weight or, oh, you need to eat. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's it. That's a, yeah, that's a very Southern, I, I, I'm glad you said that. It's a very Southern perspective, I feel like. I mean, I'm sure it happens in other places, but yeah, I've definitely, right. it happens to me every time I go home. And it's always like, you come to this weight and like, what is it, what is my, what does my health look like this time? Like, <laughs> Exactly. Have I lost weight? Have I gained weight? You know, and right. It's something. To <laughs> do I need to eat? Or do I need to to leave my plate on the table? Right, you know? right, yeah. So I, I love. I think what's one of the things I was getting out of this story is it reminded me basically of the conversation that's kind of led by people like Lizzo, who is obviously just like mm-hmm. owning her body, and not, and that's and we can we'll focus on the on the the. Well, actually, I have to open that up because because it's a. It's an agender situation too, like with with men too who who deal with body image yeah. issues. So I, I love the fact that the story kind of, not to give it away, I don't think it really gives anything away, but it kind of opens up the thought process of what that looks like and what you you can be who you are essentially, regardless mm-hmm. of what you look like. And I, I just I think it really mails really well with what Lizzo and other people are, are kind of leading the, this charge of bump standard right right? like (laughs) it's very liberating yeah because like you said it's like this lizzo it's like bloggers on the internet Mm -hmm. it's been mostly um fat women or plus size women 
uh, I know they use the terms interchangeably, mm-hmm. but like we've been leading the way, like body positivity is the term that uh, a lot of people have co-opted, not knowing that it came from like the fat acceptance community. Mm-hmm. But the, the beautiful thing about it is that uh, like the co-op, people co-opting it, you know, that's of course sucks. <laughs> but <laughs> the good thing about it is that like, it, it doesn't, it didn't just stay within their community. It spread to other communities. And like, what I really love is that from this, we have the language for it, right? Because, you know, if someone said something to me about my body when I was um, smaller, it would be like, oh, that's just jokes or like, oh, it's just talking. Mm-hmm. Whereas like my son is 12 and I heard him tell one of his friends like, hey, don't body shame um, that person. Right. And so That's beautiful. Yeah, because like it's important to be able to call a thing a thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really beautiful now that people have the language for mm-hmm. it. And also that people, um, especially Gen Z, people younger than us and even people older than us are change are not coming in with the same patterns that we have, mm-hmm. right? Cause like I can say, I know how it felt for someone to be constantly um critiquing my body everywhere I went, you know, saying like, oh, you're too skinny or like, are you sure these are your cousins? Y'all don't look alike. Cause like my cousins are are thick and fine. And like literally someone asked, are, are y'all like blood cousins? I was like, yes, we are. <laughs> Mothers are sisters. <laughs> but um, these days I feel like if you say that to a Gen Z kid, they will like snap back at you and like, don't body shame me. Yeah. Don't fat shame her. Or, you know, so yeah, I think these conversations are important and necessary and they are like already having a positive effect. Absolutely. So, and the beauty about the, um, about this story is that it's, you don't have to, you know, search for it that hard. It's not in the anthology. It is something that we can share. So I'll definitely be sharing this yeah. with the folks. It's, a, it's, it's there online and it's, yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's a, I think it's just part of this, you know, while we are seeing a lot of, negative stuff a lot of craziness you know in terms of socio-political things we're seeing a, a big push in liberation on all kinds of fronts and i think it's, it is mm-hmm. great to see people who are freeing themselves or being freed um by these movements to be themselves and right. empower each other and when exactly like you said empowers each other when one person is free and you see somebody being free you're like well you know how can i get to where you are absolutely yeah and i think your story is actually adding to that so Everybody needs to read <laughs> um, this story. Please check it out. I want to share it uh, whenever we post the, the show and everything. So um, we're kind of wrapping up our conversation. It's been absolutely incredible. I definitely feel yeah. like we've ne- so just to reiterate, we've never met in person <laughs> or really we, like right. this is you are cousin right now. So this is <laughs> exactly. Cousin's I better. mean, you're basically free. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I mean, I am. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, I've stopped many a time on those exits. So, um, yeah. So one of the things I like to ask every guest um, is, you know, what about Alabama, if anything, <laughs> inspires you? And I think it's, there is something that inspires you uh, from Alabama. So, like, what inspires your work to, to you know, get it, get it done from Alabama? Absolutely. So um, I thought about this a lot because... It- I, I like I said, growing up, I, I, all I wanted to do was move away. And now every story I write takes place in Alabama. And the thing that admire that um, that inspires me, the things that inspire me, 
I think I said it earlier, are things that I wanted to get away from, like um, Alabama accents. Like I tried really hard for a long time to to make my accent neutral, and and now like I hear it and I hear music. Yeah. And um, uh, I also like the language, right? Because if you look on like mainstream TV or anything, if they want to indicate that a character is dumb or unsophisticated or uncivilized, they will give um, them a southern accent or make them speak weird Southern, made up Southern lingo. Mm -hmm. But if you are actually from the South, then you know like how like magical and colorful and playful the language is. Mm -hmm. And I think writer is just, it's a gift to be from the South and to to be around, um, to grow up around people who have such a deafness and facility with language. Like if you go to, any church on a Sunday, like you can hear like some amazing storytelling. Mm -hmm. Or if you go hang around little kids on a playground, they they are creative and like just just things that you only hear and only say in the South. I don't know. It's for me it's such a gift that's inspiring as a writer. And then like on a deeper, more thematic level, a thing that like um an obsession, I guess, that I have as a writer is <laughs> is uh, the the tension and the contrast between like the public and the private, or the the surface and the depth, I guess. Because I feel like you know, if you're in New York and you like walk past somebody and step on their shoe, or they'd be like, they'll, you know, like, hey, you stepped on my shoe, like, yeah. f you or whatever. Yeah. In the South. They might dance around like, oh, well, I guess you uh, just, you know, didn't see me here or whatever, you know? <laughs> it's like a very interesting tension yeah. because, you know, there's the Southern hospitality, which is the the face you meet, the warmth, mm-hmm. the, the friendliness. Like uh, if I were walking through uh, trying to, I don't know, walk into a building, then there might be an old white guy who holds the door open for me. But then he also would go home and vote for Trump, yeah. you know? Yeah. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a, the tension and the, the, the I don't know, just the, the ideal of, of having a public face that is so extremely different from the private... Mm-hmm actual inner life and the history. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. exactly yeah. exactly that's definitely a like, dichotomy yeah yeah it's, it's a dichotomy that I'm so fascinated with and I have one thing that I didn't mention um I forgot to mention actually but it it, it gels perfectly with this like uh so um I read an, an article that describes cultures as either peaches or coconuts right mm-hmm. so so for a peach culture it's um very soft on the outside very like warm and open but at the at its core is like a very hard center that is difficult to get to but coconut cultures are the opposite they're very hard on the outside difficult to penetrate but like once you break past that shell it's um it's open it's accessible for you and alabama is a peach culture and germany is a coconut culture sure and so um, just being in Germany makes it clearer for me and easier to write about all these tensions and the dichotomy. But um, 
yeah, the the peachiness of Alabama is is also, I mean, it's a sometimes a problem, but as a writer, it's definitely a gift too. <laughs> Absolutely, I love that peaches and coconuts. I've never heard that before, and I'm definitely gonna. That's something I'm gonna take with me from from now on. Uh, that's a great way to to, to think about the state because I mean, we do have peaches that we sell in Clinton and across the state, and now yes, that's yes. a perfect way to, <laughs> to envision that. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I I share a lot of the same um, inspirational points uh, that you, that you do. I mean, I I love the fact that you're talking about the um, the the way the, the accents um and the language there and it's because it's kind of universal you know some things like and yeah. if you're from the south you can tap into it you can hear it and you know like you know there's like a certain cadence a little bit different different sayings right. i'm with you on the same page uh there and, and you also mentioned this dichotomy which it's something that i mean i feel like books and books and books and books and books can be written about this because there's just so much there's so many layers to that and the way I've never heard of put the way you put it, this tension between, I've always seen it. I tend, well, that's one of my, I think one of the, my own criticisms about myself is this, this black and white kind of description, but you put it as a tension. I like that. I like that. It's great. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And hopefully other people vibe with that, that idea, um, those ideas rather, because it's, it's, it's very potent, I think. So um, the, and the, on the last question I ask everybody again, to kind of take us out. Uh, we've talked about the things that inspire us about Alabama, um, but let's think ahead. What is your hope for Alabama? It's super easy for me. I hope that one day Alabama values its artists in the same way that it values its athletes. Mm. So like by value, hold on, I wrote it down. I want to make sure I don't miss yes. it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> by value, I mean fund. Yeah. Because, like, you can go to a high school football stadium that is, like, nicer than some soccer stadiums here in Germany. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> our highest paid um, public employee, I want to say, is still Nick Saban, mm. the head coach of the university, head football coach of the University of Alabama. Like, imagine pouring half of those resources into the artistic communities in Alabama. The, the communities there they're doing so much with like so very very little Absolutely. so like by value our artists i mean fund them and then i also mean honor them yeah. like it was one thing was super insane to me like i was never into football before i went to college it was just like okay <laughs> alabama auburn i don't care yeah. <laughs> and then when i got there to see like people how people revered uh what's his face bear bryant <laughs> or if you were <laughs> if you were a former football player and you walked into somewhere they'd be like oh my gosh mr uh joe nathan sir come let me give you free food yeah. or let me come name my baby after you you know <laughs> it's <laughs> it's definitely a culture of like we honor these athletes and nothing wrong with that yeah. like i mean i've sports are are important but i feel like the state could change so much for the better if we shifted our priorities to to show the same sort of honor and and support to artists that we do to our athletes mm-hmm. yeah and and not having just feel like an afterthought right or just whatever we, right. we need something that's pretty and sounds good right like 
exactly yeah. to say like this is a priority because i mean everybody's so proud of to kill a mockingbird but like we are an interesting place we have amazing brilliant people we have an amazing brilliant culture like we shouldn't just have one great american novel that people know about yeah. like you should be promoting all of these writers who are are like out here producing like um Robbie Howard he's from like Mobile and I had never heard of him until I was an adult and I don't know like like uh, your podcast I was going through the guests like all these poets these great poets that I had never heard of because like we don't value them yet I can know the name of like the next the top high school football recruit you know Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's like it doesn't have to be a competition. We can value both. I was just about to say the same thing. We can multitask. We can value both. Right. I mean, there are musicians. I just saw a post on Facebook. I think the other day, it was a, a high school student. It was a football player, and it was a photo of him on the march on the on the field with the marching band playing a tuba. So oh, he was so also cool. he was playing football, but also playing tuba during the halftime show. I was like, yes, you know, like love it. Like that's. He's like connected to be like our, our guiding spirit, you know, for this whole movie. Yes. He's embodying everything. You can do both. And and, and 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 often, I mean, for people like you and I who are not super into ath- athletics. Not at all. <laughs> you know, you kind of leave those folks out and leave them in the lurch, you know, and we have to find, right. you know, we have to grow up to find our, our, our inspiration and our outlets and we have to go out elsewhere. Like again, when I grew up, we had to go oftentimes to Mobile to go to the nearest ballet or nearest museum or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was fun. Don't get me wrong, but we shouldn't have to travel 30 minutes, 35, 30, 45 minutes to, to get that cultural uh, development. Exactly. You know? So, um, Yes, I'm with you. That's something I think I don't think anybody said anything said it quite like that again. So thank you so much for for sharing that hope. Um, thank you for this conversation in general. It's been very very refreshing. I really do feel like yeah, I'm thank you talking to like a long a lifelong friend. Uh, yeah, I mean you you stuck with me now. We're friends now. It's I mean that's good. I mean that's it. That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm always I'm always looking for people who are like outposts, you know, for traveling and stuff. So if I pop up in Wolfsburg oh. with my Volkswagen T-shirt, you know, <laughs> just just guide me on in to the to the kuchen. Yeah, I'll take you or, out for some curry worst. Oh, that works. <laughs> you you know let's get it all in let's get it all in um but again thank you so yes. much and um is there anything can people how can people find you on the internet or? Ah, yeah. yeah uh I, i'm uh on the internet on twitter and uh instagram as the right tatiana so right w-r-i-t-e so the right tatiana and um my website which uh is a little sparse but it's there yeah. is uh tatianarhanabuta.com uh, but you can find me from find that from twitter or instagram yeah yeah but, check her out folks um, let's talk about writing or alabama thing i'm always down love it love it all right well thank you guys for listening to this conversation and tune in next time you never know i might have somebody from australia next time i'm just kidding i haven't found anybody from there but Leave it to me. I'll do it. Uh, but again, thank you for listening. Thank you, Tatiana. Have a great rest of your day or night or whenever you listen to this. <laughs> yes, thank you. Good to knock. Good to knock. <laughs> <laughs>
You just listened to the third episode of the second season of the Higher Ground Society podcast. Once again, I'd like to thank Tatiana Hanabuta for joining me to talk about her writing and her life as an expatriate in Wolfsburg, Germany. I really enjoyed chatting with her. I'd also like to thank, again, the Alabama Humanities Alliance for their support of this season of the podcast. The music that you've heard throughout this episode was created by none other than Jasmine Garfield of Art Intel Media, based in Birmingham. Tune in next time for another engaging conversation. You don't want to miss it. Until then, take care. Thank you.